Amen. Well, let's take a moment and pray as we begin to share God's word. Father, I humble myself before you and I recognize that in and of myself, I have nothing good to say. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me. Give to your people now what they need here today. I thank you for all those that are tuned in online and listening. We pray special blessing over them. Lord, that they would sense your presence. You would speak to each and every person here today. You know what's going on in our lives. You know what we need. So Holy Spirit, speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to pick this up because I think I need to make an announcement about this. Yes, prayer requests. So we pray on Saturday from 9 to 10 here. And until we get heat in the building, then we'll be back out there. But right now we pray. There's a basket over there and these prayer requests. Uh, some of them we've had to take out because God has answered the prayers. That's a good thing. So we're asking if you have a need, something you need prayer for, you can pick up one of those and just place it in the basket. You can be anonymous or as much detail as you'd like to, to give. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, I'm going to bring to conclusion uh, this series uh, today, Lord willing to get through everything, and I'm going to put us on the fast track here. God's promises to you. We're talking about the four cups our text has been in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. Exodus 6, verses 6 to 7. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. <clears throat> I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God and who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And uh, actually, today's text, we're going to focus on Exodus 6, verse 7, <clears throat> that next slide there. And then I will take you for my people. That is the cup of praise. Somebody show praise. That is the fourth cup. Uh, some of you, if you're coming in for the first time, and we've been spending some time over the last six weeks talking about, I believe, a promise that God had made to the children of Israel, but it also is a promise, I believe, to, to, to you and I here today. And it represents God's plan for each and every individual, uh, not just for Israel coming out of Egypt. <clears throat> and I believe these are an eternal promises for every believer. Now, how many know that we're all coming out of an Egypt in our life? Amen. There's things we're being delivered from and sinned and bondage into God's promises in the promised land. And I said this last week, uh, the ultimate purpose of the cup of promises is for us to live the unlived life within us. Can you say amen? But well, sadly, most believers, they drink of the first cup. Thank God for that. That's the most important step, salvation. Can I get an amen? Taking that first step, receiving Christ in your life. It is Faith is action. Faith is decision. It's not just mental assent. You choose to believe. You choose to receive. You confess with your mouth, the scripture says. You believe in your hearts. How many tracking with me this morning? That's how you're born again. That's how you're saved. And uh, I think uh, a thing that confuses a lot of people, especially in the upper Midwest, is there's been teaching out there that we're just all God's children. We're all saved. You know, we're all part of the family of God, and you never had a personal encounter with the Lord yourself. You've never repented of your sin, invited Christ. You never were converted. Conversion, it's what they call conversion theology. And, you, you know, you believe he, maybe he's out there. You hope you make it to heaven. No, the Bible says these things are written that we may know we're saved. How many know they're saved? Let me see their hand. Well, that's about half of you. The rest of you will see about the end of the message here. Amen. 
But a lot of people, they bury the talents. They bury, there's a process the Lord has that he puts us on that, that we don't want to just camp out and just go, well, I'm saved, I'm going to live my life. Amen? Hey, how many of you know when you're born again, you leave one master, Satan, but you gain a new master, God? How many with me? Amen? And so God wants us to graduate, to move on, to grow spiritually, to grow spiritually. And so uh, a lot of times, though, people, they're afraid, sometimes maybe lazy or short-sighted, and, and they don't want to take that step. And, and what happens is, sadly, sadly, uh, many people's lives become a tragedy of eternal regret. Oh, I wish, wish I did this, or I should have gone on that mission trip, or you know what? God was telling me to do this. Oh, and, and it's just a life of sorrow. And we said this, the happiest people on the planet are those who are making a difference in the lives of other people. Can you say amen? That's a fact. And so how do you drink of the fourth cup, this cup of praise? And we started last week, and we used the term transcendent living, and that's what the fourth cup is about, and helping others. And, and I said this, that only 2%, 2% of people in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, the place of opportunity, where millions are coming to try to live in this nation, only 2% ever live at this level, this transcendent level. Wow, that is gonna change for Church for the Harvest and the people at Church for the Harvest. How many know that that's magnetic? When a church full of people living the purposes of God in their life, that is a, a city set on a hill. That is a bright light. Can you say amen? And the word transcendent, I like it. It means exceeding usual limits, surpassing, extending, living beyond the limits of ordinary experience, beyond or above the range of normal, <clears throat> or, or normal merely physical human experience, surpassing the ordinary, exceptional. I just like that word. It's a tremendous word. And we started with uh, the first half of uh, uh, a quote uh, last week uh, by American uh, psychologist Abraham Maslow, uh, and he said this. He said, if you plan on being anything less than you are capable of being, you will probably be unhappy all the days of your life. You just let that selah sink in. Some of you go, yeah, that's me. That just identify. I just feel very unhappy in this season of life. And I, I'm not just talking about difficult times that we all go through and seasons, things that are challenging, and just overall in general, your life just unhappy. And we said this, that uh, we brought up Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, hierarchy of needs. And we touched on these uh, four of them last week. And basically, to recap quickly, it's a theory of human motivation based on five levels of human need. There's physiological, there's safety needs, love, esteem, and uh, self-actualization. And so he believed that people are motivated by these pursuits of solutions to these needs. And that's what motivates people. And so beginning with our basic physical needs, kind of moving up through other, all the stages of successive levels of when it's met, and uh, as we achieve those, those, those levels, uh, you know, we feel secure, then we, we go on to the, to the next one, and, and, we, and we take action, and, or we should take action, and we shouldn't camp out at any one of those when those needs are met. And so when I said this, I believe, in a sense, Maslow was right in that his theory reveals how, how God designed each and every one of us. 
and how he desires to grow us in our faith, in our purposes that he has for us. And so he believed, Mazel, that uh, when we seek fulfillment from our most basic needs to everything we are capable of becoming, not only survive, but also to give our lives meaning. And uh, we mentioned this also last week that uh, in his original article, he focused on the five needs but others have studied, and there's been three more that have been added to the list, expanded to eight, and, and that actually, I want to focus on the last one here. We'll get to in a moment, really, what I believe the fourth cup is about and what God is trying to communicate to us all. So these hierarchy of needs, and um, uh, uh, we touched on those last week. So let's just continue on. These are the next, uh, those are kind of the the lower level needs, I mean, you know, how can you ask somebody to, 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 you know, come out and help plant trees if they don't have a, they don't have a house to live in and they're just living on the street? And so, you know, when these basic needs are met, then we feel that we're able in a position to help and bless others. But what happens is we focus on one of these and we camp out. All right, and and uh, and so we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. And so we we mentioned about uh, uh, thinking about how much of our time, how much of our energy, how much of our personal resources that we focus on these needs uh, when we already have them met. God wants us to grow. Somebody shout, grow up. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to move on. He wants us to bless others because we have been blessed. So the first needs are called deficiency needs and things you need in order to live to avoid negative consequences. And so, uh, so moving on, there's the next we would say is cognitive needs, these cognitive needs in uh, higher order. We all need uh, mental stimulation, knowledge. I mean, you're here today to hear and understand of God's word and to grow in your faith and understanding meaning solutions analysis. And we, a lot of us want to understand how things work and change. And, uh, you know, you see that in some kids, they're more curious than others, but it manifests itself in different ways. I remember as a young kid, uh, I enjoyed riding my dirt bike and we had a number of dirt bikes and my dad just said, well, once you get one, you pass it on to your, you know, your brother or your sister, and, and then they would have the, you know, your bike that you used to have. And, but one of the things that fascinated, fascinated me was how do they work? <laughs> you, know, you start it and you go. But, so I'd, we'd take them apart. We'd take the motorcycles apart. And mostly when we put them back together, all the bolts were, the, you know, sometimes it was extra bolts. But we learned a lot. How am I with me? Hey, listen, don't stifle that in your children. Amen? Don't, you know, it's like, oh, he's out, wants to pull the toaster. Make sure it's unplugged. Let him pull the toaster apart, all right? <clears throat> Why? They're, they're, they're intrigued by that. That's something good, all right? And it, 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 but it manifests in different ways. Some people like watching certain TV shows about design and building and how they decorate and uh, remodeling. And, and that's why some people devote their lives to the study of a certain work or topic. And you, read, you watch some of the stuff on the History Channel, and you, some expert gets up there and he's like, I devoted my whole life to this bacterial fungi or whatever in Africa. How many years? 40 years I've been studying this. I'm like, what? Well, I'm glad he's studying that. You know, just give me the summation. You know, spend your whole life. But they're passionate about it. That's cognitive needs. And even knowledge about God fits into that. How many with me say amen? So uh, <clears throat> the next one would be aesthetic needs. 
uh, aesthetic needs. Uh, he goes on to mention that people have an innate appreciation for order and beauty and desire and uh, desired as a constant part of their lives, and maybe it's reflected in the love of nature. How many people just like to go on walks and go out there? Yeah, so they just like going out to the open, the beauty and love of nature, the outdoors, and uh, maybe a passionate, you, you like seeing the mountains, you know, people like that, and then so people will move to places, so they wake up and they look at the beautiful mountains, or some people, it's beaches, or animals, some people just love the weather, they're like the weatherman or woman, you know, and well, it's going to be cold today, you know, and it's just, they're, they're, they're drawn to that, to that, and these needs reflect why we prefer one style of home over another, uh, why some people like to sing, uh, draw, paint, write, design clothes, it's why we want certain pictures in the walls that are painted uh, particular colors in, in ways. And so, so there are aesthetic needs that he uh, 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 determined. And then self-actualization, which actually was the fifth one that he penned, but we've added, they, they've added him through the year. And it's the need for personal growth in development. This is a basic need, he says, to realize our personal potential, a sense of being the best self we were created to be, it is reflected in our pursuit of goals with unwavering excellence regarding our field of endeavor. Uh, it could be seeking maybe peak experiences um, on the football field or track, and you want to, you know, drop a few seconds off of your, your time and race, and maybe it's a certain uh, goals in the gym or CrossFit. Some people, it's a research lab or becoming an expert in a certain field because of a passion that they have, an understanding uh, and their deepest desire, and they want to manifest that. Here's the thing. God put, watch this, God put a desire in each of us to reach this potential. But studies show, and I've shared this before, only 2% of people in America live at this level of fulfillment. It's amazing, amazing that, that living in this country, people walk around, they have all this potential, but they, just, they, they, they don't fulfill what's in their heart. And there's an interesting side note that 0.01% of college students have a sense of fulfillment in their lives. That's pretty low to go and spend 80, 90, 120,000 and not have any fulfillment. How many would be say amen? We don't want that, all right? And so number eight, and this is one we want to focus on, is a transcendent need, transcendence. And Maslow assumed self-actualization was the highest need, but this one is even higher. And we're going to focus on this here for the next few moments. It is the greatest need in a person's life. It is the ultimate motivator that explains why we get up in the morning, or we should get up in the morning, amen, and endure all that life throws at us. Transcendent need. And here's the thing that I find very interesting, and I'm going to conclude here in a little bit with a, actually a, a movie that came out a few years ago. Um, <clears throat> and what's interesting, it is reflected in compassion. Somebody show compassion. Who would ever have thought that? You talk about this hierarchy of needs, and you talk about people and attainment, and you would just think is people, you know, What's the statement that they wear in the T-shirt? The guy who dies with the most toys wins. No, you don't, because you can't take those toys with you. Amen? <laughs> you know, so this accumulation of wealth and having stuff and things and security and finances. No, there's something way beyond that. And God knows that. And he's placed it in every single human life, a desire to step in to what he's placed in their life. So it's reflected in compassion, sympathy, caregiving. People that care and give of other people, they're, they're walking in their transcendent calling. It is reflected at times when we look beyond our own needs and helping others. Can we just say that, say help 
others. I know it may have been hard for some people, but that's a good word to say. It's about others, other people. It took me a time. I remember I was hired and, and worked out in, in Ashby at the Destiny Church for, for many years. Wonderful church, wonderful uh, people out there. Love them dearly. My wife and I grew greatly, but I would listen to a cassette. Somebody remember cassettes now, come on. And I like cassettes because when you start and stop, you start and stop at the same place. And it was hard for me to get free from cassettes, but I listened to a lot of John Maxwell teaching for seven years. Every day, I'd go through two, three cassettes, listen in leadership. And there was some metamorphosis that began to happen in my heart that, that it was like, Mike, it's not about what you can do in this life. It's about helping others. And in, come on, amen? It's really, and, and, and it, it takes a revelation to come to that. It really does, where you just think, you know what? How can I help enable what's in your heart that what God has done? See, that's not how people walk around every day. <laughs> They're just looking out for me, myself, and I. But the heart of God and the transcendent cup is others. How many see that say amen? We'll talk more about that. But looking beyond our own needs, helping others, not out of an obligation, but, but by a joy of doing that a joy of helping to meet someone else's needs. And as I said, this need can only be met when our other needs have been satisfied. And, you know, being in a place where we've kind of have a lot of those other uh, levels taken care of in our life. But uh, transcendent living is what this fourth cup is about. So we talked about the cup of salvation. One week we talked about the cup of deliverance. How many of you know that the children of Israel, they were delivered out of Egypt with a strong arm? But how many of you know Egypt was still in them? And some of you, we, we all have an Egypt in us that God wants to deliver. Here's the thing. Don't camp out in deliverance. <laughs> we did, there was a, a, a move in the church back in the 70s it's called the deliverance ministry. Some of you remember it. I was a part of it. And, you know, we got to get that devil out of you. You know, it's like, wow, that devil's strong. I remember we prayed for one lady for nine months every Friday night to get that devil out. Listen, when Jesus said go, it left. All right, and so someone's wanting that devil for that devil to stay there. Amen. Oh, you got awful quiet here this morning. <laughs> you know, the devil has no ground if you don't give him any. All right, so yes, there are people that need strongholds broken through, and that's why they're strongholds. But let's not camp out there, all right? Somebody shall freedom. Christ has said it's free so we can walk in freedom. That doesn't mean as you move on and you grow in your faith that I use the analogy of like walking with the limp. Like when, when Jacob wrestled with the angel and his name was changed into Israel and became prince with God, he prevailed. But why did the angel touch his hip and he kind of walked with a limp? You know what? There are many scars that we carry with us. And those scars, just because you experience those things and those painful things, whether self-inflicted or they happened to you and you did nothing wrong, regardless, that's a scar. But you can take that scar, come on, somebody, and use that to turn it around and break the stronghold of the devil over other people's lives. Amen? If I didn't seek freedom in my life from the father heart wound and, and all the negative things growing up as a young man in a large Italian family and uh, feeling in love and all that, we couldn't bring freedom to other men. But I've seen what God has done and how good the Lord is to bring freedom in our life. Amen? And so this fourth cup is about that. And so there's deliverance. And then there's the cup of redemption, how that's the cup Jesus drank. He said, with outstretched arms, I will redeem you, but also towards us. And God helps us in our walk. And then this fourth cup, the cup of praise uh, uh, during the Seder meal was the one of, uh, of hope. Boy, we need hope today in America. Boy, we need, people need hope today. 
And I, I just really feel that harvest is gonna, a reservoir of hope for people. That, you know, no matter what's going on out there, it's still, it's going to get brighter and brighter inside the house of God. And I just think for even some people, uh, they're not, they're just used, you know, when you're used to hell and all, all just sin and just wickedness, and then you come into a place and you experience the presence of God, that's shocking for some people. You better believe because they're not used to it. They're like, okay, what's going on? There's a vibe here. This is not like the, the rave parties I've been to. This is something different. God is here. Amen. And so that's what we pursue. We pursue the face of the Lord. So, um, uh, you know, I, I wrote this down. Big things have small beginnings. I just want you to ponder that. Big things have small beginnings. This church, where we're at today, at this time in this season, all that's happening started with three women in a living room and me just praying on my knees. Now, what, what, it took a miracle. It took a miracle, and, and I attribute everything to the Lord and his power and just his favor. But, but you know what? We had to step out in faith. I, I had to step out in faith. I had to believe. I remember at times, and I've shared this before, you know, I always concerned, will anyone come to the church? I mean, you think about it. You think, well, I'm called to preach. Great. Does anyone want to listen? <laughs> That's a real test. And some people think they're called, but nobody comes. And if nobody came, I would have went and done something else, right? I mean, the worst thing we need in pulpits is people not anointed to preach. Come on. Or not anointed for that call, all right? They may be great leaders. And, and I remember my wife saying after a while, she goes, why do these people keep showing up? I think, I'm wondering that too, honey, <laughs> you know? But, you know, it's like God began to move on people's hearts. And I begin to step into the things that the Lord has. And so here's the good news. He has that for you. So if you think this is overwhelming, I can't. Big things start from small beginnings, okay? Just think about that. Some of you need to pin that down. Uh, Ephesians 3.20, this is an amazing verse. This is in the Bible. Actually, it's not just in my Bible. It's in your Bible. Now, glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. That right there is a whole sermon series. When you think about that verse, what does that mean? Here's the thing, and why I just really have a passion to pray. Because here's the thing about with prayer. Prayer enlarges God's desire in your heart. I'm going to say that again. Prayer enlarges God's desire in your heart. I don't really have a lot of passionate things for the things of God, whatever. Do you pray? God, awfully quiet in this full gospel church. Do you pray? It enlarges God's desire. See, when you pray and you commune with the Lord, he's going to give you his desires. And his desires, how many know, are far above our desires, right? <clears throat> Glory to God by his mighty power. His mighty power work within us. So this is God's attitude towards every single believer. You showed up here this morning, you're watching online. This is God's attitude in his life for you here. You drink of these cups, this is God's attitude to the fourth cup. God desires by his mighty power at work in you, and I think there's a lot right there has to do with you praying, seeking the Lord. He's able to do far more. Somebody shall far more. More than what you can what? Even dare to ask. You know, you ever get to the point where you're like, well, I don't want to ask my parents if they're going to let me use the car or whatever. He's like, well, I'll just ask them. Or you know what, I need some money or whatever. You know, dare to. He's saying that there are things God knows that we don't want to ask. Well, this is what I hear a lot from some believers. 
God is busy, you know, running the world and all these other things, and he doesn't care about my problems, or woe is me, I'm just a little worm, and why does he care? God is saying he wants to do his power far more than what you can even dare to ask, even dream of. How many can dream of some big things? But some people, they put that off. It's like, you know what? No, it'll never happen. No, infinitely beyond our highest prayers. So he even inserts prayer in that. And so how many of you know, pray, pray for lofty things. You know, it was a while back, God placed in my spirit that Church for the Harvest would reach, I'm not saying it's in my lifetime, I pray it would be, but we would reach two million souls for Christ. People look at you like, you're nuts. Yep, I am nuts in the natural, but God can do it because that's way beyond me in my prayers. That's way beyond my ability to do that, but God can do that. So you know what? I'm going to ask him for it. And he put it in my heart, infinitely beyond our highest prayers. And then it even hits desires. And then it hits thoughts or hopes. It covers it all. That's the heart of God. How many with me say amen? amen. Praise God. Uh, the higher true prayer climbs, I wrote this down, the wider its view. How many know that when you higher get up and you seek and you set aside time, you, you purposefully uh, set aside time to seek the Lord, your view increases. How many know you raise up higher, you see things that, you know, others don't? So as I kind of bring this to conclusion, ultimately the fourth cup is about doing something beyond ourselves, okay? It's about living life beyond the limits. And it's only possible, we know, when we're serving an extraordinary God. We don't walk by works, we walk by faith. How many know that without him, we can do nothing? But he said, I want to do this in you. So it's not works to literally receive and accept and drink of and take the next step that he has for us. Can I get an amen? Bible says in James, faith without works is dead. All right, so what is he talking about? We're not talking about working our way to salvation. No, we're talking about receiving what he has for us and dare to believe greater things. Did you hear that? Dare to believe God for greater things. Um, you know, most people don't see themselves as agents of change. But that's how God sees us. You know, there's a term that they use, clerical Joe, the clergy, and then there's this laity distinction. In other words, well, that's clerical Joe's job. You come to the church, and he marries everybody. He buries everybody. He does the offering. He sings. He plays the drums. You know, and some churches are run that way. Not here at Harvest. No. We're about equipping people in Ephesians 4, people to step into the grace and gift that they have in their life. Can you say amen? And so we don't have this kind of clerical Joel thing. You know, listen, you're all ministers of Christ. Did you hear that? That means you can lay hands on somebody. Come on. You can pray. I mean, it happened even in prayer this morning. They laid hands on somebody. I'm like, go for it. Lay hands. That's the way the body should work. That's why at the end of the service, we welcome uh, those are altar workers. They're people that, that are prayed up, men and women. They're here to minister to you. Some pastors, they want to do everything. Me, look at me. I'm the guy. That's not me. I want to live long. Amen? I want, I want the kingdom of God go further. Listen, when I'm dead and gone, this church will continue on, Lord willing. Amen? And it's your children's children that will keep it going. All right? Because you don't know who's up. You don't know some grandchild in here is going to be a worship leader 30 years from now. Come on. You don't know that. Or a missionary on the board, where they're going. They're in China. They're in North Korea ministering. Wow. They have a, they're adding flags when we're gone. You got to think from heaven's perspective. Amen. Somebody's looking at me like a deer hitting a headlight. Uh, I'm just going to keep preaching. Amen. I'm almost done. 
We all want satisfaction in life, but the satisfaction most people are looking for comes from being in the middle of the action, not sitting on the sidelines. Amen? And I have this. Our lives will radically change when we find our best fit. Get equipped and serve others. Get equipped and serve others. How many with me say amen on that? See, see, that's what, that's what Harvest, I really believe, is about. That's our passion. Small group, serving, leading. That's what the lead group is about, that Angie is teaching and leading with these leaders. And ultimate fulfillment comes when we live beyond ourselves and pour our passion into service. When we do that, we actually change our city. We change our community. We change the world that we live in for good. Ultimate fulfillment is about ministering to others from our own unique stories and the things that God has brought us out of and into. Ultimate fulfillment comes from being part of a team. And so here's the thing. I believe God wants his power manifest in every single person's life. Did you hear that? No exception. Every single person, they, they got the mark of God on their life. Amen. The mark of God in your life. Whatever you do, day in, day out, people come across your path. They, they see the mark of God on your life. And here's the thing. God loves taking ordinary nobodies. Someday I thought I'd write a book called Mr. Nobody. I saw an old Western one time about it, and I loved it as a kid. It's called Mr. Nobody. And I just thought, he likes taking ordinary people and using them to do extraordinary things. Um, let me give you an example about a Mr. Nobody. Desmond Doss. Some of you remember the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Mel Gibson uh, in back in 2016. It is a World War II battle on Okinawa, Japan. I was stationed in Okinawa for a year. And I was told when we got there, they said, don't venture off into any caves or any of the mountainous ranges because the Japanese and the U.S. basically bombed the whole island. I don't think there was a tree left. Uh, now it's a, it's a beautiful island in, uh, off southern Japan. But I was stationed there a year uh, and served there uh, near the Kadena Air Force Base and <clears throat> Camp Hansen and, uh, uh, and, uh, with the 2nd Marine Division. And so he makes a movie about this Mr. Nobody, Desmond Doss, and it's called Hacksaw Ridge. And it was based on the attack, the U.S. pushing back uh, the opposition, opposition of the Japanese forces back in uh, April and May of 1945, and specifically this ridge that the U.S. forces had to go up and press back because the Japanese were just entrenched, uh, like with tunnels. And they told me when I got there, they said, don't venture into them because there's still some explosives and things that have not gone off since Second World War, so stay out of there. Because some Marines were going up there looking for samurai swords and things like that and ran into trouble. But, but the, they said, you know, stay away from that. And, and so the movie tells the true story of a nonviolent hero, Desmond Doss. He was a Seventh-day Adventist. He had very strong faith, uh, but he objected to taking up arms. He didn't want to carry a rifle. And he was from Virginia, he was a skinny kid. He had a southern draw. I almost was going to play a video here, but you could go back and watch it. It's just amazing. Uh, he objected to taking off arms to fight, and, uh, but he wanted to serve. He wanted to serve his country. He wanted to be in the military. So on April 1st, 1942, Desmond Doss joined the United States Army. And if you pull up this next slide, little did he realize that three and a half years 
Three and a half years, that's actually a picture of the ridge that the servicemen uh, went up it. He would be standing on the White House lawn receiving the nation's highest award for his bravery and courage under fire. Over 16 million men in uniform during World War II, only 431 received the Congressional Medal of Honor, and he was one of them. Well, Doss's convictions are genuine, and the men of his unit, they hated him. I could relate to that when I was stationed in, in camp after I got out of boot camp and then getting into uh, uh, the FMF Fleet Marine Force in, at Camp Lejeune and, and just harassed. He was harassed for his faith. And, and they actually, they called him a misfit. And one of them actually said to him, the moment we land in Okinawa, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to kill you. But he wanted to serve. And so uh, they said, well, you can be a medic. And so he studied for all that and he became a medic there. And uh, what happened was, is though, as a, as a, as a, as a medic, he went up, up that ridge. And for, I mean, it's, it's pretty gruesome, the fighting that took place. And his men came back down, but he stayed up on the ridge. He stayed up all night, this man. And he would pray. He would pray. And he would say, Lord, please help me save one more. So he would go without a weapon right up there in Japanese territory, tie these men up. He would physically drag them, and he learned to tie in Virginia as a Boy Scout, and he lowered each of these men down, 75 men all night. Could have been killed just like that. I believe God spared his life. And he stands uh, before the president at that time and receiving the Medal of Honor. And so on October 12th, that was this take in 1945, President Harry Truman warmly shook the hand of Corporal Desmond Thomas Doss and then held it the entire time his citation was read aloud to those gathered outside the White House. And this is what he was saying at the time. The president, now watch this, the president, he said, I'm proud of you, Truman said. You really deserve this. I consider this a greater honor than being president. A Mr. Nobody, three and a half years, he just, with his simple faith, his medic kit and his Bible, you know, he rescued and saved so many people. Stand with me if you would, please. You know what, friends? There is a greater honor. Now watch this. There is a greater honor for those who choose to drink of the fourth cup in this life. If you choose to say, you know what, Lord? I don't know what you've called me to do whatever that purpose, transcendent purpose is. But Lord, I'm willing to take that step. I'm not gonna camp out any here along the way. I'm gonna move on. And whatever you place in my heart, how I can serve and minister to love others, I'm willing to drink of that fourth cup, that cup of praise, that, that where uh, my life would be able to give praise to God. You know, the men in his company, and if you watch the video and they interview them, these guys start crying. Some of them, they lost legs and limbs, and he drugged them and lowered them down. And they said, we mocked him. We laughed at him. We ridiculed him. I think the next slide is the main point that really, I, I think, summarizes this man's life, Desmond Doss. And it says this, and it was written about him as Mel Gibson writes. He says, Desmond Doss's faith isn't a cover, watch this, for any ulterior motive. His convictions are in no way about self-preservation. Watch this. Rather, they are for the flourishing of others. That's the fourth cup. That's the purpose of God. Well, you're saying, Pastor Mike, we got to all be like Desmond Doss? No. No, you're not called to that. But you can be faithful, Mrs. Nobody, Mr. Nobody, right where you're at. Come on now. Amen? You can just be faithful where you're at. And that's what's going to please the Lord. When you get up, you go to work, you provide. 
You love on your family. You serve. You give. You do all God is requiring of you to do. Someday, our King is going to grab our hand. He's going to grab your hand. Come on now. And He's going to say, well done. Thank you. You're going to say, Lord, I don't deserve anything. He's like, you, you deserve this because of my son. But thank you for drinking of that fourth cup. Hallelujah. My last slide is this. God never promised to make us a fulfilled person in isolation. God promises to make us part of the family, his own people. That's the promise of God. Every head bow, please. Desmond Doss passed away in 2006, 87 years old. Amazing, amazing story of a Mr. Nobody that was willing to stand by his convictions, stand by his convictions, and God honored him. Wow, true fulfillment never comes alone. It can only be attained within a group of people. Friends, that is drinking the fourth cup. That is the kingdom of God when we think of others, not just of ourselves. And that's the heart of God for each and every one of us. With every head bowed, you hear this morning, you say, Pastor, I want to, I want to get on this, this process. I want to start this journey in my life. And I've never really made the decision to allow Christ in my life. I've never, I've never really, as you said earlier, to pray to be converted. I've never accepted Christ. I've never confessed Him as Lord. I, I know He was out there, but I never really was actionable in my faith, and I want to do that today. Bible says now is the time. Today is the salvation. If you're watching online, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. It's a very simple prayer, but a very costly prayer as we conclude this morning. It's a prayer of salvation through grace, through what God has done and provided. But you must receive it. You must accept. You must repent. You must believe. These are steps of faith. This is your action, your part. And God says, I will meet you at your point of confession in faith. That's you here this morning. Let's pray in unison. Say this. We say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. Now take it. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, God meant it. We want to help you on your journey. We want to help you on your faith. We want to help you go through the process and the step that God has for each and every one of us, drinking each of the cups and walking in, being a part of the 2%. I like that. God's called you all to be part of the 2%. I'm going to say that again. God has called every single one of you to be a part of the 2%. What is that part? Drinking of the fourth cup. Allowing the Lord to work through the brokenness, the pain in your life, allowing Him to heal you. Yeah, you may walk with a limp, but you know what? Your life can be a blessing to others. Your story can be a blessing to others. You say, I'm Mr. Nobody, just like Desmond Doss. Look what the Lord can do with a Mr. and Mrs. Nobody. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to invite the altar workers to come forward at this time. and They are prayed up people. They're here for you, to minister to you, to lay hands upon you. And these are safe people. You need additional prayer. Maybe you want hands laid upon you. Uh, they can pray the prayer of agreement, whatever it is. I just want to encourage you, don't leave here today without being ministered to by them. Let me bless you. Father, I thank you for the people of God. All those watching online, those who are here this morning. Lord, I sense you speaking. And there's pondering. People amusing over what was spoken. And 
Lord, I thank you enlightening your people here today. You've called each and every person not to camp out somewhere, but to move on. Lord, help us as your people to not spend too much time, too much money on things that are already taken care of. Help us, Lord, to move on. Help us to be thinking of others. Help us to minister to others. Help us, Lord, each day to be conscientious of our neighbors, of our enemies, <laughs> of those at work, co-workers, those in need. Help us, Lord. Pour out the spirit of compassion on this church, I pray, Father God. Compassionate people in this season, Lord. A season that America needs so much. Hope. Dispensers of hope. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you.